Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We are sitting here in the rattlesnake, on the edge of the rattlesnake wilderness, in a barn that was completed in 1905. We're sitting next to a crackling fire, and this is the scene where we interviewed Smoke Elser about two weeks ago, and now I'm sitting here with Jordan Knudsen, who was there with me that afternoon when I spoke with his mentor, Smoke. Jordan, thank you so much for uh, inviting me back to the barn to hear your stories. Absolutely. We're glad to have you. So my name is Jordan Knudsen, as Mandela just informed you guys. I have been in Montana since 2001 is when I moved here, so about 17 years now. I was actually raised in Texas, in the hill country of Texas primarily, but also for a certain stint on uh, Galveston Island. So I've had both hill country, cedars, oceans, and mountains in my past. I have enjoyed all of them, but the mountains are where I reside now because that's what brings me the most pleasure. As a child, I always, my mother would attest to this, I was always a child that did not do well indoors and needed to be outdoors as much as possible. I was homeschooled. Being homeschooled, everybody always thinks that I would have had a very easy education. My mother was probably the most strict teacher anyone has ever seen, Uh, (laughs) which was good for me because I needed that. But I always did school because I had to, and I got outside because I wanted to. I remember being in my, oh gosh, adolescence of some form. And my favorite thing was to go to my grandparents' house. They had a very large garden. And I distinctly remember standing and running the rear tine tiller with the handlebars above my head. So outdoor life has always been a huge part of who I am. We lived rural off and on most of my childhood uh, in ranching communities. We moved quite a bit. My dad was in construction at the time and so we kind of moved where the availability of work was and so my roots are an area more than an actual place truly my roots are montana now this is by far the longest place that i've lived consistently and so when i was about 14 years old my family moved to south dakota and we lived in south dakota again kind of based around the construction industry And that was the first time in quite some time that we actually lived inside of any city limits. When I was coming on to 18 years old, I decided I was moving to Missoula, Montana. The reason being was that when I was 14, we came through here on a vacation and we stayed for a very brief time. We traveled east to west through Montana and we stopped in Missoula for a couple of days. And I was just, I was struck by the beauty and actually kind of struck by how small it is. Montana is a huge state, but it's a very small place. And so meeting people that you've run into from 500 miles away is not uncommon when you're hanging out anywhere in Montana. 
And so at 18, I decided I was moving here. In that interim, my folks actually had a business that was now quite mobile. It was all computer oriented and more clerical than anything. And so they actually decided they were also moving to Missoula. So in 2001, my immediate family all moved here. And to this day, we all live in or around the Missoula community. I actually reside west of Missoula out near the Nine Mile Pack Station in Houston, Montana. If you've just joined us, that is the voice of Jordan Knutson, and you are on The Trail Less Traveled. Now, Jordan, we are sitting here in this barn by the fire, and can you tell the listeners how you came to be here today in this barn? Yeah, actually, what brought me here was a fact that once moving to Montana again in 2001, I we acquired some horses, which we'd had as I grew up and so on. But here we acquired some large horses, horses I had not had in the past. These are big bone mountain horses, crossbred, Percheron, quarter horse cross type horses. So I rapidly decided I wanted to get into backcountry travel and, and basically get as far away from roads as I possibly could with horses and livestock. And so I started doing that a little bit and trying to figure out the odds and ends of that. And when I started packing, I, I didn't really know a whole lot about it. And then randomly, believe it or not, in the Missoula newspaper in the classified section, I saw about a three-line ad that offered packing classes. And I had not heard of any of it before. I called the phone number and I started speaking to a, a Mr. Smoke Elser. And he informed me of what the classes would entail and the very, very economical cost of them for eight weeks worth of instruction. And so 2004, I signed up for the class and met Smoke. And again, that's where we are right now is in Smoke's historic barn. And so I started doing that in 2004. And from there, it just grew and grew and grew into something I do as much as I possibly can. That's beautiful, Jordan. Now, when you say that's what I do. I know some of us will be like, ah, oh, yeah, they can imagine you on the back of a horse with a train behind you in the Bob Marshall, and they know exactly where that is. But for someone listening, perhaps in Paris or in South Africa, and they don't know what it means when you say packing, what are you, what are you talking about? Basically, it's if anybody's ever seen a Western movie, which I assume not everyone has, but it's the <laughs> when you picture someone riding a horse, we're using a riding saddle and a human is sitting on top. When I'm talking packing, we're talking about taking specialized equipment, pack saddles, and there's two main types of pack saddles. There's a Decker pack saddle, which is iron rings on top of the saddle. And there is a sawbuck pack saddle, which if you've ever seen a old trapper movie or anything, you've seen a sawbuck pack saddle. The skill set that I obtained through this class and then lots of trial and error was Decker pack saddle packing. So what we do is we take what's called a manti tarp and a manti tarp is a seven foot by eight foot piece of canvas that we bundle all of our equipment into. And then that ends up being approximately 36 inches tall and 22 to 24 inches wide and 11 to 16 inches deep. So it's, it's a large rectangle weighing anywhere from a nice load as 65, 70 pounds to terrible loads that are awful to pack, which we do on occasion are 130 pound sides. So you're saying 130 pounds on each side? That is correct. So the mule's carrying 260 pounds at that point of deadweight cargo, plus roughly 40 pounds of equipment, uh, meaning the pack saddle and everything else. And so those are very, very heavy loads. And those are very big mules that have to carry that because uh, an animal can carry 20% of its body weight all day, every day. So one fifth of its body weight. So you have to take that into consideration when you're loading that animal. 
Jordan, you asked me how this was going to go, and I don't often, you know, plan out the interview because I like to just free ride it. So I'm going to ask that you show our friend sitting across from me around the barn because we did a little bit of that last week, realizing that the listener is not here, so they can't see what you're talking about. But if you could just walk Emily and I around the barn, especially where you're going to teach the class in, a, in an hour, and just kind of tell us about what you see and what it's all about. By the way, when I say Emily, I'm talking about a beautiful single New Zealander who just arrived in Missoula about an hour ago. <laughs> and I guide with her in, uh, in, in New Zealand. So, Harimai, welcome to Missoula, Montana. All right. So, more than happy to show you guys around the barn. This barn started being constructed in 1900 and completed in 1905. It was used primarily as an apple storage barn, so it's very thermally efficient. It's a stone barn. The walls are approximately three feet thick. There are beams running down the center of it. The barn itself is about 40 feet wide, um, but the interior footprint, because of those thick walls, is roughly 34 feet, give or take. And then right down the middle of the barn, supporting a loft above is 13-inch beams, very, very striking beams. But as we look around, we have, a, as Mandela put it, a crackling wood fire. It's a primary heat source in the barn. Smoke went to great lengths when he first acquired this, uh, long before I ever saw it, to improve the barn. There's actually a natural gas heater in it as well, but there's just myriads of old tools and just historic things hanging around from traps for fur trapping, trap lines, to antlers from many, many years of hunts gone by, to horseshoes of all makes and shapes and sizes, to stirrups off of riding saddles to any number of thing it's probably somewhere inside this barn um, some of my favorites are the old axes and crosscut saws that are around because when you're traveling in a wilderness area of any form you're not allowed any internal combustion so smoke is very well equipped here in the barn with hand tools to allow for backcountry travel in an area where a chainsaw is not allowed to be used so that's the small room we are here. As we move into the next room, we actually have a room where the horses and mules come in in order to help us teach the packing class. And we have in here all makes and models of riding saddle. When Smoke was fully outfitting, he had, oh my goodness, numerous types of riding saddles for all different types of horses and mules. And we have an entire horseshoeing area that Smoke has here in the corner. So all forms of horseshoes, large anvil for blacksmithing and shaping, all forms of harness for driving, any form of <laughs> really, really there's kind of any type of equine travel you care to partake of uh, is somewhere within this barn pretty much. Down at the very north end of the barn, there's a showcase that has been put together over the years. There is actually a Gatling gun pack saddle designed specifically to carry a Gatling gun from years gone by. And there's a Phillips pack saddle. There is an old Mile City riding saddle. And there's actually an original McClellan riding saddle, which is what the cavalry always rode in. So there's a whole lot of history in this barn. And Smoke has done just a phenomenal job both retaining the history and also making this a functional space. So, Jordan, we're standing here in front of the showcase, and you're describing all the different saddles, some of which are hundreds of years old, actually. Yeah, one of these was made, I believe, in the 1850s or 1860s, if I recall correctly, and the other one was made in the early 1900s. And then there's a telephone. 
Can you tell us about that telephone? Yeah, so the telephone that's hanging in here is the old style hand crank telephone where you pick up the earpiece and speak back into the box of the receiver, just like you see in the old black and white movies. And what that is, is way back when there were fire lookouts and communication was needed back in the Bob Marshall wilderness, they actually had uh, telephone lines put in back there and they string these telephone lines with porcelain insulators. You'll see them around the Bob here and there, but they strung them from tree to tree. And so there's very few phone poles. There are some phone poles when you get out into the Danaher Meadows and that sort of thing. But these phones were actually at different ranger stations and fire lookouts and so on. And to this day, there's actually 20 some miles of functional phone lines still in the Bob Marshall for historic reasons. But there used to be hundreds of miles of it. And now, much like anything, the the technology has come to bear that that the old phone lines are no longer necessary so the phone lines actually were never removed however so traveling through the bob marshall you come across them quite frequently and the insulators are kind of a novelty to find lying on the ground amongst the pine needles all right standing here with you jordan in the barn up in the rattlesnake uh, we're looking out the window looking to the northeast can you tell us about the wilderness area that's just two shakes of a lamb's tail from this barn you know, the Rattlesnake Wilderness is just north of Missoula, and we're extremely fortunate here in Missoula to have the wilderness area that we have this close. We're spoiled beyond all reason living here, and unfortunately, I hope I hope all you Missoula natives don't take this the wrong way, but it, it takes almost someone not from here to realize how amazing this place is to a point, because this is not everyday life for a lot of people. And the wilderness area we have north of here, the Rattlesnake, is just it's an absolute gem and a treasure to have, and it's so conveniently located that anyone can come and enjoy it. And then not very much farther north of that is the Bob Marshall Wilderness that I've frequented much, much more. Like I say, we're just very fortunate to have the, the natural resources of streams and rivers and the five valleys all converging as one right here. You're on the trail less traveled, and we're standing in... Smoke Elser's barn uh, up in the Rattlesnake, and I'm standing here with Jordan Knutson, who in a moment is going to be teaching a packing class in this room. You guys bring the mules in here, and they tie them up just here in front of us on the, the beam, and you can do the packing class just in this room here. Is that correct? That is, yeah. So Smoke Elser has been teaching this for 56 years consecutively, and Smoke, when he was about 80 years old, he approached me, and I was extremely honored and extremely grateful to be offered uh, the opportunity to assist him in packing this class with the ultimate goal that at one point or another Smoke will <laughs> either willingly or against his will decide to not teach this class any longer. And so I actually assist Smoke in teaching this and teach about half of the curriculum now and this barn is an integral part of that class. So Smoke and I will both be teaching the class here tonight. Like I said, the 56 year that Smoke has been doing this. And we bring the mules in and we have a hitching rail here. We tie three animals on each side and we take 12 students. So there's six animals in here and each student gets to work on one side or the other of the animal. We normally have them switch because when it comes to packing and loading those heavy loads and so on, like we're talking about, when you work on the left side of an animal, it's exactly opposite on the right. So we teach everybody on both sides. And so the barn is really nice because when it's snowing and blowing and just going like crazy out there in February, we can still be teaching our class. So what else do you cover, Jordan, in this packing class besides actually getting the animals ready? Do you teach care of the animals and, and, and travel in the wilderness as well? 
Yeah, we do. We teach stock containment. So when you get in the hills, obviously you have to keep the animals in the hills. One of, one of my favorite sayings that Smoke uses is there's not a horse or mule out there that likes to hunt fish or take pictures. So once we, once we get in the mountains, we got to be able to keep them in the mountains. And so we teach some of that stock containment, but we also teach a lot of safety. We touch a lot on safety. We teach safe equipment and there's a lot of garbage out there. And so we teach safe equipment, saddles, riding saddles, packing saddles, proper equipment. So that your animals are comfortable and then we teach all the way down to body positioning on how to properly load to keep strain from yourself so you don't hurt yourself as well as how to comfortably move through the hills i mean when you're when you're asking a string of animals be it one animal or a string of 10 mules packing over a ton of gear to move through the hills at 20 or 25 miles in a day at comfort and safety is of the utmost importance all right, before we leave this room, Jordan, uh, looks like you've got some meat hanging up on the wall, and you might want to put that in the refrigerator or something. I mean, it is cold, like real cold in here. I'm going to go get my poofy jacket while you answer this question. But can you tell us about the meat on the wall? So what we have hanging on the wall are actually their teaching aids is what they are, but they have a lot of history. They're exact replicas of rear elk quarters. So those are tanned hides with the hair left on of rear elk quarters and then they were actually put together full of rocks and they're the exact shape of elk quarters with the bone and everything so that we can teach people how to properly pack elk quarters because those are hard things to pack the elk quarters themselves aren't challenging the most challenging thing to pack is the large rack that oftentimes comes with those elk quarters and so we teach how to pack all of that as one package and those quarters were actually made by howard copenhaver who used to run the whitetail ranch used to own that and howard is actually someone that a lot of you folks would have heard of and if you haven't you should google him he's got four or five books that are just stories of his life and outfitting in montana and so that's who actually made those quarters and smoke acquired those and i believe those actually went to the chicago world's fair and did a parade back in the 60s all right jordan so when we pulled up when i say we i'm talking about my friend emily here who Keep smiling like I'm not going to make her talk on the radio, but uh, that might happen, so get ready. So Emily asked if we could interview your horse. We saw that beautiful, large horse, and I know the door to the outside area is just there. Do you mind if we go and say hello to your horse or the mules that are outside this door? Can you just tell us who, who we're talking to? You know, we're happy to look at them, but they're going to bum rush the door because their daily routine is to be allowed in the barn here for their grain. And so obviously horses and mules quite enjoy their grain. And these are no different. The only difference with these are all of them except mine. Uh, Mine is a 16-year-old percher on cross. All the other ones out here are retired. So all they have to live for is standing around waiting for this grain and eating their hay. And so um, they're going to be more than happy to see us. And... As the as the creak of the old barn door, we're gonna have to pull that door shut there. Otherwise, they'll go in. But all of these horses and mules are here to help us teach. They've all had very full lives. The one you're touching there, Mandela's name is Cody, and Cody is in his mid to late 20s, and he was actually a Forest Service mule up out of the Sealy District, and he got retired when he got old enough and slowed down and couldn't keep up with the string. And then we've got Judy here, who... Mules are sterile animals, but Judy would beg to differ. She always looks slightly pregnant. Um, (laughs) But that's that's just a hay baby, as she pins her ears and stares at me. 
all of these mules belong to Smoke, and then my horse is the large black Percheron Cross out there. That horse's name is Bubba, actually. And he is one of two I own that are half-brothers. The other one's name is Forrest from the movie Forrest Gump. And the reason being, when we got them, my sisters decided that they were Forrest and Bubba from their uh, intellectual capabilities. And so that's how they earn their names. But they serve us very, very well. They're very good horses. And I see him over there. He's eating his hay. But you do reckon he'd come and say hello if we walk to the fence? See, the, he has to weigh the options between coming over here and potentially having to do a job or oh. staying over there and eating free choice hay. And so that's the trade-off for him. And if you'll excuse me a second here, I got to get Concho, who is 34 years old this year. But Concho likes to push the barn door open and go let herself in. So we got to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, you're on the trail less traveled, and we are standing here under some dripping snow. It's been warm in Missoula recently, and my guest is blocking the door, the barn door, for one, two, three, four, five, six mules that really want to come in and get their grain. Um, this is awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're very welcome. <laughs> All right, so as the snow drips on our head, Jordan, it's time for a song now. So can you think of a song that reminds you of your early childhood adventures? You know, the early childhood adventures crossover, I can't really integrate a song from my early childhood adventures, but I can integrate a song that's much more modern that makes me think of not only adventures, but think of my lovely wife and think of being in the mountains. And a friend of mine actually took this song and did about a 15 minute YouTube video of pictures that he had running as a YouTube video. And that was backed up with this song. The song is by Gregory Allen Isakoff and it's a stable song. And just as Jordan is talking, his horse has walked up to him, just so you know. He likes his owner better than his hay. He's never betrayed me, so he's a big horse. He'll swim a river for you. The Trail Less Travelled podcast is sponsored by Karuna Clothing, sewn with love and laughter. Karuna Clothing is handcrafted from natural fabrics which soften as they age. They design clothing lines to fit the moods of places which have inspired them. Design simply and using the best fabrics. Karuna Clothing creates their own unique colours. Strong, well sewn, small batch, unique product lines which are simply beautiful. Handmade in Missoula, Montana. All of Karuna clothing is sewn and dyed in the US and all workers are paid good living wages. www.karunaclothing.com That's K-A-R-U-N-A clothing.com Alright, well we are back on the trail that's travelled and I'm standing next to a beautiful Percheron Cross and it's owned by my guest, uh, Jordan Knutson. And when I say Percheron Cross, I'm talking about a horse breed, but I'm going to hand it over to his owner to tell you a little bit more about him. Should we do something about the mule with the door? Or 
probably wouldn't hurt for us to make our way over there and mitigate that situation. Okay. So the situation is that the mule is uh, taking her nose and pushing the barn door open repeatedly, hoping to go inside. But we have a bar across the door, so she can't quite make it. So we need to try to get her to stop doing that. <laughs> but a Percheron Cross is just a breed of draft horse. If anybody's ever been in a carriage ride or amusement park or Central Park or somewhere where they have horses pulling, most of those are heavy-boned, heavy-blooded horses. And so the most common breeds of draft horses, uh, there's five major breeds in the United States, and then there's other offshoots, but the five major breeds are the Percheron, the Belgian, the Shire, the Clydesdale, and then the Suffolk Punch. And Bubba happens to be out of a Percheron stud horse. And so he's a quite a large horse. He stands about 16 hands and he weighs about 1,450 pounds. And for anyone out there who is familiar with horses, he takes a size five horseshoe, which is quite large. <laughs> as as Mandela gets accosted by the mule who wants inside. <laughs> Right, so we're back inside. Jordan is buttoning up the door. That was a highlight of my day. Standing next to that beautiful black Percheron cross and uh, being pushed inside the barn by a mule. <laughs> Gently. Gently. So we're gonna walk back to the crackling fire because it's a wee bit cold still here in Montana. And the one thing I wanted to ask you about Jordan is you're looking at your horse just now and I commented on how beautiful his nails were because they're black and white stripes. And you said, oftentimes when a horse has lighter hoofs that they are a soft-footed animal. What do you mean by that? Some of them are based in fact and some of them are based in wives' tale. But they used to say when you were buying a horse, the old horse traders used to look at a horse and if he could roll over when he laid down and roll all the way over from one side to the other, he was worth $100 more because you had a good horse. But that's not actually factual. So same goes for the foot thing is if a horse has white hooves they have a tendency to be softer that's not as much of a wives tail but if they have a white hoof it's typically a softer hoof than a black hoof but if they have a white and black striped hoof that is kind of in the medium realm to where it's a lot harder than a straight white hoof and so my horse out here actually carries striped feet as well as one straight black foot makes him pretty hardy he has good hard solid feet so when you have horses with white feet you almost always have to keep them shod pretty consistently for any form of use versus this horse can go barefoot until we start putting real miles on him in the summertime and then he has to carry horseshoes just to maintain through long travel in the mountains you're on the trail less traveled and we were just outside standing next to my guest's horse and some retired mules jordan you have spent quite a lot of time in the Bob Marshall, and I'd like to talk to you about that and hear some of the stories of the Bob. But my first question is for you to tell us as best you can as to how your energy, how your sense of well-being changes when you are going from, I guess, as chaotic as the city of Missoula can feel, you know, like it's not, nothing compared to New York City, but... You know, it can feel busy at times and then calming down and entering the bomb. How do you change? It's extremely good for me personally, mentally. Uh, my, my wife is very, very well aware of this. She also quite enjoys pack trips. But when we had our first child almost six years ago, and then our second one almost four years ago, her opportunities to go into the mountains as well as mine were greatly reduced. But she made very sure that I still had those opportunities to do that, for which I'm eternally grateful. I'm honestly married to the absolute greatest woman on earth. 
she knows this about me is that what happens for me is when I get to go into the mountains and it can be the Bob Marshall or it can be any number of other places. I also am quite fond of the middle fork of the Judith river in central Montana and I actually guide elk hunters in the middle fork of the Judith and I've guided some summer trips in the Bob Marshall and so on. And what it does for me on the inside is it just absolutely calms me. It gets me to a point of just gratitude to slow down. And as that lovely carved wooden sign on Smoke's Wall says, three miles an hour, that's the average speed that a horse travels in the backcountry. And your your entire time back there, 10 days at a time, 7 days, 12 days, 14 days, whatever it may be, it all of a sudden goes from run, 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 scheduled to you are running at three miles per hour. It's just absolutely intoxicating. It's really amazing, but I can make it sound extremely intoxicating and just like it's a lullaby to rock to every day, but much like river guiding, because I mean, as you know, I, when you were guiding for Montana River Guides is when I first met you. And way back then I I spent time on the river as well and there's similarities to it what I tell people is packing is going to be one of the most relaxing stressful wonderful awful amazing terrible things you've ever done and I mean that with sincerity but the ratio of that is not equal the terrible is about two percent and 98 percent is amazing and When you first start packing, I tell all of my students this, do not expect and do not lay out a 15-mile first day because there's a very strong chance you're going to have such a learning curve. We'll teach you all the technique and the way to do it, but until you actually go do it, it can be extremely challenging. And I've had some of my highest frustrations, and I've had some of my absolute most relaxing, amazing moments in the backcountry. One of my favorite trips I ever did, my wife's name is Jen, and I guess we had been married two years maybe. And it was kind of almost a late honeymoon. We took a short honeymoon when we were first married, but our lives were busy as usual. And so we did a hundred mile round trip and we did it in just a little over a week. And so it was, it was extremely sedate. But not just that, I had enough stock to make it extremely plush. So with two people, we had three pack animals and two riding animals. And so we had all the groceries and all the feed and all the camp gear we could have possibly wanted. And we just took a nice relaxing trip from the east side of the Bob over the divide, dropped into the west side to the south fork of the Flathead and traveled up the south fork and then back over the divide to the east side. And so it's absolutely one of my highlights to this day. That's the best honeymoon I've ever heard of. Wonderful. And to take two. Nice. That's awesome. I, I, I'm very, very fortunate. <laughs> yeah. Jordan, tell us about that country. Tell us about the Bob. What are the trees like back there and Elevation Gang and, 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 and the wildlife? It's absolutely incredible back there. There's numerous wildlife, depending on what side of the mountain you're on. When the wolves were reintroduced, that changed a lot of the fauna that people were accustomed to. Not to say that it's wrong, just to say that it's different than what people remember from the 70s and 80s and so on. The amount of wildlife is pretty unique. I mean, we have all forms of predator life back there. The grizzly bear is one of the largest concentrations and populations of grizzly bears. We've got black bears. We've got bobcats, lynx, mountain lions. It's a place where you can still ride around a corner and come across a fully dammed river or creek that's a natural beaver dam. And the geology is pretty incredible. You've got on the east side, uh, I want to say the east side, I mean the east side of the divide, 
they have what they call reefs and when most people hear reef if they've been around an ocean they're picturing something underwater and these are just large jutting protrusions out of the earth of rock and so you've got you know castle reef is exactly what it sounds like you've got sheep reef which is where the sheep tend to frequent and you've got black reef which is obviously also kind of what it sounds like but it's pretty incredible country to come into it it literally is a country that i'm six foot three and weigh 200 pounds and it makes me feel absolutely minute it makes a person really appreciate the power that it took to create it and then it makes you feel extremely grateful to be both physically mentally spiritually emotionally capable to actually take it in and enjoy it now jordan you're talking about the bob marshall wilderness and you're talking about the east side and the west side and then you say when i say that i mean the divide but again for someone listening who doesn't have any idea what the divide means and what it means for the rivers that run from either side can you explain yeah so the continental divide is the highest point in the united states and when you stand at the top of the continental divide and you look to the east all the water and the rain that falls on the east side of that divide runs all the way over and eventually makes it to the gulf of mexico or to the atlantic ocean and all of the water that runs to the west makes it to the Pacific Ocean. And so what we're doing in the Bob Marshall there when we go up and over and across the divide is we're, we're literally coming from the east side of the Continental Divide to the west side of the Continental Divide and gaining elevation as we go to the top and then dropping elevation as we drop down the other side. And there's some common trips that get you in and out of the Bob to where you can go from one side of the Continental Divide to the other. And those are a lot of fun. And I, I actually like doing big loops to where I never ride the same trail more than one step because it's just a giant loop that takes you in and around and comes back out to your vehicle and your prospective means of conveyance on a very different trail. Beautiful. You are on the trail less traveled. The Trail 1033's Locally Harvested Adventure Series. We're recording today with Jordan Knudsen. And we're here in Smoke Elser's barn up in the Rattlesnake. It's a 113-year-old barn. We're sitting next to the fire. And Jordan is talking about the Bob Marshall Wilderness. So, Jordan, it's time for another song. What song comes to mind that you'd like to play right now? I've traveled quite a bit with being in the Bob Marshall and being in the Middle Fork of the Judith, and then I'm very diversified in my life, and that diversification requires me to be away quite often, and oftentimes being away, I'm by myself traveling or driving, and I'm known to drive very long distances. In those times, I'm a very fortunate man with how many people I know and love. A little bit cliche, but honestly, the song that always comes to mind in those instances is Pearl Jam's Just Breathe. On the trail less traveled this evening, we are sitting in a barn up in the Rattlesnake. The barn is owned by Smoke Elser. The barn is about 113 years old, and I'm sitting here with Jordan Knutson, who is a legend as well. Jordan helped me interview Smoke Elser last week, and he made time to join me once again in front of the fire. Jordan, when we recorded the show two weeks ago, you and I were spinning a yarn, as I guess they would say in New Zealand, or chatting outside. And I started to get curious about how these mules get so big, how it works. A mule is coming from a male donkey that mates with a female horse. A hinny is a male horse that mates with a female donkey. Now, these mules are big and they're carrying large loads. How 
does a male donkey mate with a female draft horse? You know, last week when we were talking about this, you absolutely promised me that if we did a radio interview, you would make me say this. Um, they, they use various different forms to do this, but the most rudimentary and common way is you have a large draft mare. A mare is a female horse, and you have a male donkey. And they actually take this large draft mare, and they basically dig a hole so that she is standing a foot or so below ground level so that the male donkey now has the elevation in order to accomplish his job. And so that's where these mules come from, is draft mares crossed with male donkeys. Come on in. All right, well, Smoke himself just walked into his office here in the barn. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Smoke, are you passing through? You're heading on, in and out? Mule. Oh, yep. All right. I won't put him on the spot either. Jordan, why do you think it's important to spend time in the wilderness? And when we're talking about wilderness, you mentioned earlier that there are no internal combustion in the wilderness area. So why is it important to spend time in wilderness? You know, the wilderness designation excluded all forms of wheeled travel. So you cannot have a wheelbarrow, you can't have a bicycle, you can't have a cart, a game cart or anything of that nature. It also excluded all forms of motorized use. That gets somewhat hairy these days with the forms of motorization that we have because by the technical definition, a electric razor would be banned in the wilderness because it is motorized. But with the technology we have now, it, it gets somewhat sketchy as to what is and what isn't. But basically, it boils down to there is no internal combustion engine. So there's no chainsaws. There's no motorcycles. There's no noise of that nature. Why I think it's important to spend time in wilderness is it completely disconnects you from the constant connection we live in these days and i'm as guilty of it as anyone else my house is a wi-fi hotspot to beat heck and i have a smartphone on my hip and it's just the way of the world but to be able to go into the backcountry and be completely away from that is enormously valuable for the soul and the mind and everything else jordan quite often I find out that people have a fear more often than not, it seems I've been meeting a lot of folks who have fear of large animals like horses, and they have never been on the back of a horse. And I just can't imagine having grown up riding, not having been on the back of a horse and developing that trust. And like I told you today, just standing next to your horse was the highlight of my day. I just think it's good to be around their energy. And I know horses are used as um, healing animals as well for many reasons. But uh, what would you say to someone who has a fear of horses and animals that are larger than them? Oh, my goodness. It's... I can understand there's all forms of phobias, and I do not think less of anyone who fights that form of torment in their life. But what I would encourage them to do is try really hard to find the courage to be near, even if it's just across the fence, near some of these equine partners out here. Because what they offer for you is absolutely incredible. I mean, they're a gift from God himself about just a calming factor and the thing about horses is they play off of your energy mules play off of your energy and so what you feel and what your fears are they read that and they don't necessarily read it to exactly what it is they read the energy coming off of it and so a calm form of confidence is a way to be around animals 
especially horses and mules, to the point that they gain that same calm confidence from you. And so if you come at them with some form of a phobia, they're also going to be nervous, but they're not going to understand why you're nervous. So they don't understand why they should be nervous. And so I would encourage anyone who is fighting that form of torment in their life to seek out contact to the point that they can be comforted by versus tormented from. And that would be my best point of reference for folks like that, because it is absolutely incredible, the gift that's been given us to have them in our lives. All right, Jordan, thank you so much for joining me here on the Trail Less Traveled twice. I really appreciate your time and energy. Absolutely. Thank you, Mandela. It's been my pleasure. Jordan, can you end your program with three bits of advice to share with the listener? I would say, going back to your question, if anybody has the opportunity, be around horses and mules. And if your initial reaction is fear, just try to keep it somewhat under control and get past it because they have a lot to offer. My next bit of advice is always remember the important things in this world. And the important things are your spiritual beliefs and your family. Those are the things that are more important than anything else that we busy ourselves with and make ourselves stressed out and make ourselves overly uh, overly involved in. And when you really break it all down, what matters is family and your spiritual calling. Um, and the third bit would be, be prepared. Don't be the guy on the side of the road without a tire iron. What song would you like to end your show with, Jordan? Again, I wish my lovely wife was here because she would be shaking her head. I have a, a whole lot of footloose to me. I like to travel. I don't do well being tied down, which is why being in the hills speaks a lot to me and traveling and so on. And so there's a song by Pat Green and Willie Nelson called Threadbare Gypsy Soul. Both fortunately and unfortunately, I can somewhat relate to that. Namaste Missoula, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the world. Subscribe to the free iTunes podcast and visit traillesstraveled.net to see pictures, archive previous episodes, or contact me. Just recently, The Trail Less Traveled podcast was made available on Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I would like to thank my guest this week, Jordan Knudsen. After moving to Montana in 2001, Jordan rapidly grew a passion for horses, mules, and backcountry travel. After a few years of experience in self-taught techniques, he completed Smoke Elser's packing course in 2004. Since then, not only did Jordan take the time to become proficient in the techniques of Decker packing, but he also took it upon himself to improve the equipment he was working with. In 2006, he started a business now called Sun River Saddlery that is devoted to building equipment that carries on the traditions of Decker packing and backcountry travel. Jordan also spends his fall season as a licensed backcountry hunting guide, contract packs through the summer season, and enjoys as much personal and family time in the mountains as time allows. Jordan has been instructing alongside Smoke Elser for over four years. You can find out more at sunriversaddlery.com. My name's Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for the show is to take you, the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana. 
or on location around the world in order for me to find these adventurers and connect with them in their natural habitat. Tonight's episode was recorded in Smoke Elser's 113-year-old barn on the edge of the Rattlesnake Wilderness. The trail has traveled as a community source for adventure information and inspiration every Sunday night at 6. If the show has ever inspired you or made you laugh, please take a moment to write us a review on iTunes in order to help this new genre of adventure radio. My adventure tip this week regards approaching horses. Horses have blind zones where they aren't able to see anything. The two blind zones are directly in front of the horse and directly behind the horse. It is important to recognize these areas and approach the horse from the front, but never directly in front of the horse. It is preferred that you approach a horse at an angle from its shoulder. Well, that's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, get outside and shred the gnar. Because, as you know, the gnar does not shred itself. Thank mm-hmm. you.